What if work is bigger than tasks, products, profitability, and bonuses? What if work is really about things more important than the work itself? This is Rich, and it's time to revive your work. After Sarah and I got married, a common experience was running into friends and neighbors who would say, look, is the newlyweds. How's the marriage? To which we'd reply, great, we're in counseling. We would allow that awkward silence to linger just long enough. And then we'd rescue them with, no, 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 no. It's, it's great. It's okay. We we want to be in counseling. We actually have been in counseling since before we got married. And the reason we're doing that is because we believe that the best time to work on a marriage, the best time to make a marriage strong is when it's already strong. I wish I could tell you that that idea came about because of how smart I am. Instead, it came about because of an experience I had. See, I'd been married for 19 years and then divorced. And that year after the divorce presented some time and space that I hadn't had prior. Like most of us, I was busy and distracted, perhaps on purpose. After the divorce, I had space and I had time. What I decided to do with that space and time was reflect reflect on me. I started by asking questions like, what was my role in this? And how did I contribute to this outcome? You see, when I got married, there was no intent for it to have an expiration date. Right? There was no intent for it to be, to, to be broke beyond repair. And I was considering if I'm going to be in a new relationship someday, if I'm going to get married again someday, Perhaps I should know how I contributed to a failure and figure out how to correct that to be a new person so I could expect a better outcome. So sitting with those questions, an answer showed up. Here's what I heard. I was unwilling to get help. You see, I knew that I was part of a marriage that was not thriving. I knew that I was part of a marriage that was troubled and that was breaking. I knew that. That was not a surprise to me. Although, all along, with that knowledge and with that information, I would not and did not ask for or get help. So I asked another question, why? Why would I be in a situation that's going poorly and resist getting help? That answer was programming. Programming, here's what I mean. All of us show up in this world, a clean slate, right? a, um, a blank hard drive so to speak. And the minute we show up, we begin to intake information, right? Um, we hear things. We, we, 
we hear information, we observe interactions around us, we have experiences, and, and one by one, all of this information, all this programming begins to create in us a belief system. And the belief system that's influenced by the programming drives the behavior, right? So our behavior comes from belief and our belief from programming. Think about a computer system. Um, uh, think about a computer operating system. That's, that's the belief, right? A, complete, a computer has an operating system. Well, it's, it's nothing without the programming, right? The programming tells the operation system what to believe. Here's your beliefs. And then based on the operating system, it interfaces and interacts with other computers or uh, a mouse, a wireless keyboard, an app. That's the analogy, a computer and a human being. And what I found, what bubbled up was this reality that uh, my programming from a, a, a cultural standpoint of what, what it means to be a male, what it means to be a man in this culture told me this. If you can't figure something out, if you need help, you are weak. A man who needs help, a man who can't figure something out, a man who can't fix something is inherently weak. Again, that programming came from the male models, right? The male input that I had growing up. It was from my, first and foremost, my dad. Um, from the media, John Wayne never needed help. From coaches, from uh, even peers as I started to grow up. And so, so all of this information created a belief in me. And there's nothing a man wants to be less of than weak, right? A man, we will go to, to, to extremes <laughs> to not be perceived as weak. So in my case, I was more willing to let a marriage crumble than feel weak. Thinking about that or having that realization caused me to wonder, wait, if I'm going to be in another relationship someday, if I hope to be um, in, a, in a, a new, healthy, thriving marriage someday, I'm going to have to be a different person. I'm, I'm going to have to be a different me to show up. If not, then this is a repeatable offense. So in order to get a different me, in order to get a me that behaves differently, I had to have a me that believed differently. And that meant I needed programming to change. So I began to seek new programming, literally looking for information, looking for books and authors, particularly male, who could help me believe that a man who asked for help was courageous. And I, and I found it. I found uh, literature. I found podcasts. I found CDs that I would listen over and over again in the car. And I found other men that I respect. And over time with this new programming, it overrode, it overrode my old programming to the point where I believed that a, a courageous man is one who's willing to seek and ask for help. That led to the behavior that impacts Sarah and I today. That's the reason why as we started dating and we realized we were going to get married, we made a commitment then and there. Let's go get counseling. You know, let's get help right away. 
Now, the question might be, what does this have to do with work? Everything. Work, as we know it, is fundamentally broken. Work has been for years crumbling. What we have now that we might not have had a dozen years ago is the data to prove that what we're experiencing and what we're feeling and what we're hearing is actually true. Work is broken. One of those pieces of data tells us that seven out of 10 employees around the globe are moderately to fully disengaged. Seven to 10 employees around the globe are moderately to fully disengaged. That means seven out of 10 employees, if I ask them, Tell me about your work. This is the response I get. This is real life response. I meet somebody. Tell me about your work. It starts with a sigh. <sighs> and their chin drops to their chest and their chest compresses. They look at their watch. They pause for a moment. 12 years. I ask people, tell me about your work. And they tell me how many years left until they're finished. I did not know they were incarcerated. Now, think about our culture. We have a mascot for Wednesday. Our culture has created a mascot for Wednesday. That mascot, we know, is a camel, and Wednesday is referred to as hump day, meaning that we're on the downhill slope, right? Meaning we're more than halfway to our reprieve, a two-day reprieve, which means by Sunday night, we're starting to feel nauseous again because we got to head back to work within a few hours. Now, if you are one of those people, or if you've been one of those people, or if you know one of those people, the tragedy is that we're wishing away 71% of our lives. If you're disengaged at work, you're wishing away 71% of your life. You're trading five for two, five days of misery for two days of temporary happiness. Unacceptable. A 2017 study revealed that 95% of human resource leaders say that employee burnout is sabotaging their workforce. A Gallup study found that about two-thirds of all employees, all full-time employees, experience burnout on the job. Now, consider that over our lifetime, we will spend roughly 90,000 hours at work. That is entirely too much time to be disengaged, burn out, and to be part of a broken system. So the question is, what's the solution? Now, the solution is not about throwing more money at the problem. Rob Bell says that uh, any problem that can be solved with money is not an interesting problem. And this is an interesting problem. Now, again, we might say, well, it is. Well, it, let's just, um, we, we need to raise, raise salaries. Well, we need to increase the benefits. Or perhaps we should have uh, better prizes or rewards for performance or hitting goals. Or um, we should have a more elaborate company picnic and uh, monthly birthday cake should be a little bigger, a little taller this year. None of those will resolve the root cause of this. And they're not bad, right? Getting paid more, 
improving benefits, having a company picnic, they're not bad. They will not solve this problem. Left alone, they will do nothing but prolong the agony. So the solution is this, programming. The solution to a broken workplace experience is programming. What I mean by that is that, again, when we showed up in this world, we started gathering input about the workplace. We sat at the dinner table with parents, either one or two parents who were working, and they talked about their work. And we listened to them on the phone talking to people at their work. We listened to them talking to their friends about their work. And then we watched movies or TV shows that had experiences, workplace experiences built into those. So the media was part of it. And then we began to work part-time and full-time and we began to have leaders and managers and bosses and coworkers. We began to um, be inundated with standard operating procedures, right? On and on and on. That's the programming that has created our belief about work. And from our belief about work, we're all interacting with our behaviors about work. Our opportunity is to change the programming, create a new belief, and radically change the behavior at work. That is our solution. And that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about considering the impactful questions like, what if work is bigger than tasks, products, profitability, and bonuses? What if work is really about things more important than the work itself? I did not say work is not important. Meaningful work is vital to us individually and collectively. As a matter of fact, at Extraordinary Communication, we believe so deeply in our work, we call it our ministry. We view and consider our work our ministry. Now, in order to get to that place, we've got to consider some radically new programming. Programming that might sound like work is about things more important than the work. Work is about things more important than the work. We'll be exploring what those things are. What on earth could be more important than the work while we're at work? Well, here's a couple ideas. One, we are. You are more important than the work. The purpose of work is about transforming you. It's about being in a space and a place and around people that brings out the best you, that ensures that over time, you're becoming a better version of yourself, the person you're intended to be. What's more important than the work? Each other, supporting one another, providing support so other people can also experience a growth path for themselves. What's more important than the work itself? Culture, connecting with other people and creating a community that thrives and is healthy and allows, again, all of us to become a better version of ourselves and at the same time, create really good work, products, services, outputs. If it's good for people, it should also be good for business and good for work. That's what our conversation is going to be about here on the Revive Your Work podcast. So tune in weekly as we explore courageous questions. If you'd like additional weekly inspiration, check out reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. That's reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. And you'll receive a uh, additional dose of inspiring, thought-evoking ideas each week. This is Revive Your Work. 
where we discuss topics that transcend the blurred lines between our professional and personal lives. 